0: Gilbert and the Taka by Blake Bettis. Gilbert began his day unshowered, unshaved, and with an untoasted bagel, all of which conspired to make him grumpy. He was not a grumpy person, you could ask anyone. The novelty of this mood, then, was enough to amuse him. So it was with the conflicting instincts to throw something and laugh That Gilbert found himself staring at the black face of a computer screen. He pressed the power button again. Nothing. With a huff, he fell back against his seat. So the power was out on the whole property, not just his apartment. He looked around at the dark room, illuminated only by a window. There would be no working today, it seemed. He had nothing better to do today, or any day, for that matter, so he left the computer behind and began to walk around the room. It was the most expensive room in the church, but not in the furnishings, for on the mismatched bookshelves and folding tables and one ottoman with floral print were scattered piles of boxes of papers and books. This controlled chaos was an improvement over the disaster that was once the church library. Even so, library was inaccurate. The church's official library was on the other side of the building, just off of the foyer, and it was full of devotionals and studies and children's materials. This was more accurately a collection comprised of various and sundry source documents accumulated over the near 200 years this congregation had existed. It was the pride of the congregation, or had been since an especially reverent church member realized the value of the collection. With near-righteous zeal, she organized cakewalks and love offerings to supply the proper storage materials. She succeeded in this and even set her sights on building a proper archive room before a rather persistent family history of congestive heart failure decided to migrate down the family tree early. The congregation united in memory, and an unused closet in the back was emptied and cleaned, fitted with two dehumidifiers and a dedicated air conditioning unit. A certain self-consciousness arose within the church at that point on account of the spending, and further renovations were no longer considered an appropriate expenditure. The church caretaker maintained the archive, and it was no longer the subject of special interest. Until recently, that is, when a large university learned of its existence— they quickly donated a large sum to the church and coordinated with Gilbert's graduate program to establish an internship that would be responsible for the careful sorting, categorizing, and copying of the documents in the archive. Gilbert jumped at the opportunity to work with such a unique archive and had spent the last three months here in Hampton, scanning documents and attempting to classify them. The scanning was simple enough, even given the logistics considerations. The classification, however, while not difficult, proved interesting, for he discovered documents of an unusual nature. His eyes fell on a three-inch binder that sat alone on the computer table, and he picked it up. He could not work today, so he could spend time marveling over his favorite documents without guilt, but he would not do it here. Between the actual collection, the bookshelves, dehumidifiers, and the makeshift workstation squeezed in, the room was claustrophobic on the best of days. Binder tucked under his arm, and with an indignant, but only half-felt, screw you, to the computer, Gilbert left the archive room behind, which was an excellent choice, he realized, as he locked the church door behind him. Rid of the strange mood of the morning by the prospect of reading, he noticed the autumnal appeal of the day. The early September heat wave had recently broken and admitted fall, with all of its trappings. The leaves were blazing, the air was fresh, and Gilbert loved few things more. He considered going back to his apartment, but the weather was persuasive, and he instead found one of the benches inside the church's sprawling gated cemetery and settled there. He flipped through the thick pages, found his place, and began to read. The notebook was one of a handful Gilbert had categorized as mystical. He had been shocked to discover such an abundance of this material in a church's archives, but he had quickly become fascinated by them. The mixture of materials was eclectic, containing journal entries and treatises that addressed questions of magical theory and technique, entries from a bestiary, and a handful of what were clearly spells. He was deep into this when he first sensed it. There was no label for the sensation, but it was clear, and it was dark. Gilbert turned it over in his mind, trying to understand it. No answer was apparent, and yet the feeling was growing. He looked up. Across the cemetery, only a short distance, stood the figure of a nude man with the bleached white skull of a deer where his head should have been. A set of impressive antlers seemed to reach toward Gilbert. Even without eyes, it was clearly staring at him. Gilbert did not get the impression that it was a friendly staring. Gilbert did not hesitate. He didn't even feel fear, though he knew he would later. He was one of the rare practical types who simply deal with things and respond to them afterward. He simply closed the binder, stood, and calmly walked out of the cemetery, making sure to keep his eyes on the strange figure. It did not move at all. As soon as he passed through the gates of the cemetery, the oppressive feeling that had alerted him to the creature's presence lifted. He no longer felt threatened. There was no reason to believe the gate would hold it in, and yet Gilbert knew he wasn't in danger for the time being. Even so, the only reasonable thing was to put distance between him and the beskulled man, so he walked back to his apartment. On his way there, he wrestled with the unreasonable feeling that such an image as a man with a deer skull was not unfamiliar to him. By the time he had reached his apartment, the solution had revealed itself. He had seen it in one of the binders. Thankfully, in his curiosity, he had brought a couple of the more intriguing volumes back here. He found them piled on his small table. He picked out the one which he had designated the lesser key of Gilbert as a joke, and it was only a couple of minutes of perusal before he found the careful drawing of a man with a deer's skull. The document was labeled Taka, and it contained a detailed description of a creature that gravitated toward places of great grief. According to the document, it fed on the location itself, quote, for the bitterness of human grief does fill a place. But Gilbert's eyes locked onto one sentence, and this was when he felt the fear set in. For a moment, it overwhelmed him, and he had to sit, heart bouncing in his chest and hands shaking. He read the sentence aloud just to hear it. The Taka is a territorial beast and will suffer no man entry once he has claimed place, And it is then, one understands, the reason for its fearsome antlers. Gilbert spent a moment considering the fact that he just now had casually walked away from a beast willing to gore him. As it always did, though, his reaction slowly faded and was replaced by his typically pragmatic self. Well, I can't leave it there, he said. Nobody else had been at the church that he had noticed, and the caretaker was visiting family in South Carolina, so it seemed it was safe for now. But with the power out and the weather so nice, people were sure to be out and about eventually. Of course, he reasoned, the cemetery isn't a hangout spot, and it's behind the church, off the road. Still, he didn't like it. So he read on, hoping to learn something useful. And he did, though he didn't know how helpful it would be. The entry read, Once a taka claims a place, that place is lost and will not be reclaimed. For this reason, banishings are not to be attempted, but rather a binding which will contain the evil of the taka within. That could only be referring to the use of a spell, Gilbert realized. He only hoped he could find something in the other binders. The sun indicated that it was past noon by the time Gilbert found what he was looking for. He read through the whole spell, examined the diagram, and felt a certain relief when he saw the list of supplies was not nearly as strange as he expected. In fact, he could gather them easily. It never occurred to him to doubt any of this. Never once did it cross his mind, though it certainly would have another's. His only thought was to address the situation. He did not want to carry the binder around with him, so he copied the entire spell into his journal. That done... He grabbed his car keys and set out. When he tried to crank his car, however, it did not respond. "'What are you doing?' he asked the steering wheel. As he sat there, it occurred to him that he hadn't heard or seen a single car all day. This area was not crowded, but it was populous, and car sounds were a part of the typical oral landscape. That was definitely odd. "'Looks like I'm walking.' He began strolling down the sidewalk. His destination was only a few minutes by car, but the walk there and back would probably take him a solid hour. If I'm lucky, he muttered, and then laughed. Linda was the only person he knew in this town who had an herb garden. She was also enamored of Gilbert and would probably talk him to death before he could get back to the church. The street was silent as he walked down it, and not a single car passed him. To his dismay, he noticed a handful of cars stopped in the road and abandoned. It would have been easy to believe he was the only person left in the town if he had not seen others walking about or families playing in their yards. Lost in his thoughts, seemingly no time passed before he turned onto the flower-lined driveway and knocked on Linda's door. "'Gilbert! What a surprise!' She grinned and beckoned him inside, talking the whole time. "'It's just crazy, this power outage. "'You know, I haven't gotten a single thing to run, "'not even my cell phone, and I know I charged it yesterday, "'and there's no way it died so quickly. "'What about you?' Gilbert had not thought to check his phone until his car had refused to start, and apparently everyone else's too. He had just assumed this was your typical "'it'll be fixed in a day, nobody panic' power outage.'" Now he could not be so sure. No luck there, he said. Too bad. I imagine the power company will get it all sorted soon enough. Have a seat. He did as much to put some space between them as to be polite. Linda was a crowder. I'd offer you coffee, but that's not really possible. So how about some juice? Gilbert declined. And when it looked like she was going to keep talking, he said, Linda, I was wondering if I could ask a favor of you. She grinned and answered, Well, of course. I was hoping to get some of your fresh sage. You're the only person I know with such a nice garden. The request seemed to confuse her for a moment, but she said, Oh, sure. It's right out back. I'll clip you some. How much do you need? Uh, just about four leaves. Wait right here. I'll go snip some for you. She was back in no time, handing him a small baggie filled with sage leaves. I wanted to make sure you had plenty. Be careful. It's strong. Thanks, Linda. This helps a lot. She tilted her head. I'd time to get culinary with the power out. Gilbert hesitated. He had not prepared an explanation, and there was no way he was going to tell her the truth. He did not imagine telling her he was gathering ingredients for a spell to do in the church cemetery would go too well. I read it keeps bugs away. They've been getting in my apartment. "'Oh, well, then you should be good for now,' she said, satisfied. They chatted idly for another minute, and then Gilbert took his leave. His next stop was just off the road a little way. An old oak towered at the edge of a forest, one of the oldest in the town. Its branches were long and twisted, arthritic with age, it seemed. Some reached the ground and spread from it. Gilbert smiled and talked to the tree as he examined it. "'Hello, oak.' Hope you're well today. I guess the electricity being shut off doesn't bother you so much. He found what he needed, a branch that he could reach that was not so big he couldn't break it. He put a hand on it and looked up at the tree. Nature was not his area or study of expertise, but trees always seemed so full of history to him. I've got to take this branch with me. I hope you don't mind. It is for a good cause, There's this taka something in my church's cemetery, and it's apparently pretty dangerous. So I've got to try this old spell I found. Hope it works. He fell silent for a moment. With a sigh, he wrapped his hands around the branch, braced himself, and pulled. It did not seem like it would give at first, and then it broke free with a loud crack that sent him sprawling on his back. Okay, I'll take that as a yes then he mumbled as he stood and brushed himself off. His palm was warm, and he was surprised to see blood dripping onto the broken nub where the branch was only moments before. It's only fair, I guess. From there, he went back to the church, through the front this time, where he reappropriated a censer. Finally, back to his apartment where he gathered the remaining ingredients and laid them all on the table. Preparing was a simple matter of putting four sage leaves four pieces of charcoal, four pieces of the oak branch, and four pinches of salt in the censer. The spell was ready. In one hand, he carried the censer from its chain, and in the other, he clutched a copy he had made of the incantation. For the briefest moment, he hesitated and looked out of his kitchen window, which faced the cemetery. He could see the strange figure in the distance walking amongst the gravestones, running his hand over them, caressing them. Doubt crept in then, and he wondered if he was about to get himself killed for nothing. But the moment passed, as such moments always did with Gilbert. He walked out of his door. Using a compass he had kept on the expectation of hiking, he found the northernmost point of the cemetery. He kept well outside its perimeter until he found the right spot. He took a deep breath and walked directly to the gate that surrounded the the cemetery. Immediately, he could feel the Taka's presence weighing on him like the dirt over a casket, and he knew the Taka could sense him as well. As quickly as he could, he dug a hole in the grass and grabbed a handful of soil. He read, With this soil, I bind the Taka, and tossed the soil in the censer. There was a weird sensation that Gilbert could not quite identify, as if the world around him were listening. He walked around the cemetery until the compass showed he aligned with the east. Here, he scooped the dirt and read, Upon this soil, I bind the taka. The sensation intensified, and it was like he was carrying far more in the censer than what was actually in there. Silently, almost quietly enough that he did not hear, the creature approached, and it stood across the gate, staring at him. It did not move, and yet Gilbert could feel its rage, and it seemed the fury buffeted him physically, and he stumbled a step, gasping. It was only moments before the beast truly attacked, he knew. Yet suddenly, he had the distinct perception of a great tree around him. It seemed to grow around him and bury him in its heart. The creature's anger increased, but Gilbert was only distantly aware of it now, his mind lost in the rustling of leaves and the creaking of old branches. He could have been content to stay there, exploring the experience, but he realized he still held the censer and knew he had to complete the spell. At the southern point, he threw soil in the censer and said, this taka will become of this earth and the earth of it. At the western point, Never will it leave this place, nor its spirit travel forth. And finally, at the northern point again, he tossed the final handful of soil in and said, upon this soil is the taka bound. For a brief moment, he seemed to be carrying the whole cemetery in the censer. He felt caskets, and bones, and roots, and worms. And there was a deer skull there as well, and he couldn't possibly hold it any longer. And then it released all at once, and he staggered for a moment. Smoke curled in front of his eyes, and he wasn't at all surprised to find the contents of the sensor on fire. Weary, he looked up and fell back with a scream. The creature was raging against the gate, shaking it with its hands. The ground where its feet touched turned black and lifeless, and rust crawled along the ironwork of the fence. But it could not get out. Standing back up, Gilbert felt no need to watch any more, and he went back to his apartment. He dropped the sensor, which had already burned out, into the sink and collapsed on the couch. He noticed distantly that he was shaking and laughed at himself. "Well," he said, "that's done."